When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways. I do some other stuff. But most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Hello, everybody. Today's episode is an interview that I did like a week or two ago on the Sailor Jerry podcast. You know, Sailor Jerry that, uh, you know, Sailor Jerry rum and all that stuff. Uh, And the host is Matt from the Bronx. A really cool guy. I was familiar with his band, but had never talked to him before. But it was an awesome conversation about my history, you know, as a creator and stuff and some like 90s hardcore stuff. But most importantly, at the very end of it, make sure you stick around for that because we talk about some of the stuff that I care about the most which is kind of like mental health and, you know, controlling your own psychology and how important that is to just be not only successful, but just like a happy, sane person. So very, very, very good conversation. I loved this one. Make sure you check out some of their episodes if you liked this one. And uh, thank you for listening. It's time for episode 52. Finn McKenty is the voice of the people. In this very special 2022 wrap-up episode, we take a look back at the year in music with one of alternative culture's greatest commentators. We also set our sights on 2023 
and try to predict what artists and records will have a big year. Uh, Finn is an awesome dude. I've been looking forward to this interview. You know, in a uh, in an age of content uh, and everyone just trying to come up with a headline to get you to click on it, uh, Finn's a guy who has substance beyond that clickable headline. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when you watch his stuff, there's always some meaning to it, uh, and that's refreshing in this era. So. This is an awesome way to end the year. Kick back, relax, pour yourself some Sailor Jerry, and let's go. Finn, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing good, man. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Nice. What's shaking? Oh, just uh, the usual. <laughs> nice, man. Nice. I just watched your uh, I just watched your video on Ice-T and Body Count. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, man. It was, uh, it was really, really cool. It brought back a lot of uh, memories for me because... Uh, I was born in East L.A., and uh, that moment in time, I was born in 1979. Okay. And that yeah. moment in time, I mean, that era of music and censorship and all that stuff was just, it was absolutely, uh, it, was, it was crazy. And it's, it's wild to look back on. And you got some props from Ice-T. How does that feel when you get, you know, the OG looking at your videos and, and giving you respect like that? The, the literal, actual OG, the, the reason that anybody knows the term OG is because of this man. That's uh, right. I mean, if, if you would have told 13-year-old me, you know, I saw Body Count at Lollapalooza 91 when I was 13. If you would have told 13-year-old me that, you know, Ice-T 30 years later would be watching a video that I made and say my name, my head would just exploded like that, you know, that meme from Scanners, just <laughs> the guy's head blows up. Uh, that's what would have happened. So really cool. You know, it's it's always a little bit scary, but also cool to know that a lot of the people I talk about will end up actually watching the video. Um, so, you know, any video I make, I pretend the person I'm talking about is standing next to me. Would I say the same thing if they were standing next to me? That's how I think about it. And, uh, you know, to get a nod from someone like him is amazing. Yeah, that's dope. And that's a good way to look at it, you know, because you do, uh, you know, you you tackle a lot of polarizing figures and topics, you know, and you do it in a way, uh, you know, that's honest. But you also, I mean, you had me, you know, you had me thinking like, is MGK actually a good person? Is he a good artist? Is he a good artist? Is he a good, is he a good artist? Is Maybe he a good not. artist? What the hell is happening here? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, but but how do you, you know, how do you walk that line? Well, I think about it again. I just think about it like, would I say the same thing if the person was standing next to me? Um, and uh, I feel fine. Like, I like to make jokes about stuff, right? <laughs> so I have two channels for anyone who's not familiar. On my main channel, I do pretty straightforward, like, video essays where I, I try to just, like, keep, keep it to the facts because that's what that audience wants. Um, and... In those situations, I try to tell the story 
in the way that, you know, I think genuine, like genuinely reflects what happened, which is oftentimes not the way that people think it happened. Um, and I don't, I don't always know the facts, but when I can, I try to reach out to the people involved and find out, you know, like, um, for example, I made a video about a guy named Ronnie Radke, who a lot of people, yeah. you know, people say, oh, Ronnie Radke killed somebody. Well, no, he didn't. He went to prison, but he went to prison for a parole violation. And I'm not here to, like, defend Ronnie Radke or anybody else, but I think the facts matter. Like, we live in an era where people just react to headlines. They, you know, see something on Reddit or whatever on Twitter and just react to the headline without ever questioning what actually happened. And so uh, on those videos, I try to practice critical thinking. And teach the audience a little bit of that of like, well, you know, you can look up Ronnie's like criminal record. It's a matter like these are public records. You can look him up on Inmate Finder and see all this stuff. Um, And uh, so on those videos, I try to really get to the heart of what actually happened to the best of my knowledge. And if I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know what actually happened. But from what I could tell, here's what it looks like, because you know, another one of the big problems I think that we have, like as a as a society, is people who are, you know, unwilling to say I don't know. Um, yeah. And 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 you know, with things like music, it's, you know, the artist says one thing, the label says another thing, the fans say a third thing, and you know, it, it's hard to know what really happened. And uh, I do my best to get to that. Um, as, as far as the other stuff and talking shit. On my second channel, I have more fun. That's a little bit more like I look at that as a comedy channel. Um, and uh, I, to my knowledge, I mean, I'm sure there's some artists that I, you know, make a joke about that might get mad about it. But I, I think most people understand that I'm just busting their balls, you know, especially if I'm making fun of like their haircut from 2004 or something like that. <laughs> if you're going to get mad about that, that's on you. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I would hope that people understand my intentions, which is just, just to make people laugh. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome. I think it shines through, you know, for sure. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember the first uh, the first wave of Buddy Head? Do you remember oh, yeah. that back in the <laughs> Travis? Tra- Travis was getting his ass kicked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he went pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, he went pretty hard, man. And I feel like. Uh, you know, that's definitely one way to do it. And it was a legendary run, that first wave of Buddy Head. But how do you feel about the word critic? I wouldn't use that term for myself because I don't actually talk very much about the music itself. Yeah. You know, like I don't really give my opinion on the music very often because I feel like critics, in, to my, in my mind, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but to me, critics are kind of useless in the current era. Because yeah. like when we were kids, you couldn't hear it before you bought it, right? So like you would read Spin Magazine or something and be like, okay, this sounds like it's cool. I have $12 to my name. You know, I'm going to trust this review and and spend my 12, the only $12 I have on this because this this person in Spin Magazine said it, it, it was cool. Yeah. Um, but, and so critics, I think were useful then. But now anybody can hear anything they want. So why do you need my opinion on it? You can just go listen to it for yourself and, decide whether you like it or not. So what I try to do is give people context around it so that when they listen to it, you know, maybe they can um, understand it or interpret it in a different way and maybe understand why it, it is or isn't significant or whatever. Um, people, I, I, I respect people to come to their own opinion about the music. I just try to kind of color in the area around that, if that makes sense.
Yeah, yeah. You lead the people to the water. You lead the people to yeah. the water. And if they want, but who am I to tell want... you that you? Should... <laughs> who am I to tell you what you should or shouldn't like? I mean, yeah, that's stupid. Have you had? Uh, have you ever had an artist? Uh, you know, be super pissed off. The opposite of Ice T. Has someone um, ever been like, "What the fuck"? There's really only one person that comes to mind uh, who got upset with me. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm sure they're out there. But uh, people seem to be. I mean, I think who artists. Was who was it, Finn? Who was it? <laughs> uh, it was your your man, Machine Gun Kelly, was not happy. Oh, with he me. was. Oh, he got pissed. Yeah, which I thought was kind of, you know, um, <laughs> I was surprised by that because, like, honestly, why should he care what I think? Like, he's rich and famous. He's got a, a two Billboard number one albums. Like. I'm a nobody. Why should he care what I think? Yeah, but he seems like he's that dude, though. He's reading the comments. He's watching all the videos. He wants to know exactly, especially because yeah, I feel like he had a, a microscope on himself for a yep. while with all that shit that he was going through. And it seemed it was such a weird vibe. I mean, yeah. That's, yeah and, that, to, and, that, and to be fair, I think people are unfairly hard on him. Um, I, I don't think he does himself any favors. You know, I, I think he sort of makes himself an easy target. But I also think he's correct that, you know, people on the rock scene are, like, unfairly hard on him. Um, and uh, really, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's right about that. Like, for example, people say that Eminem ruined his rap career. False. He had a, like, top 10 album, like, the next year after that. Hotel Diablo was his biggest rap album ever after Eminem supposedly ruined his career and ran him out of rap. It did, that's not true. So I try to, you know, to answer your question from before, and I think he's a really good rapper. Um, I wouldn't necessarily choose to listen to his music, but I think he's really good. Um, and uh, so to answer your question from before, I try to give people credit where it's due. Um, and I, I try to call it like I see it. Yeah, man, that makes sense. What do you what do you think about Travis Barker's kind of Phil Spector? He's, he's just going for, you know, the DTA. He's going to take yeah. over pop punk, basically. You know, he wants to produce every song. He wants to do all this stuff, which, I, you know, I back completely. Nothing yeah. against that. But and not that it's funny to say, you know, it's funny to actually look at pop punk like it was ever really a serious thing. But it seems I mean, like it sold millions of records. Yeah. But it seems like now, at least to, to guys like myself, that it's like, man, like there there really is no sense of realism to the genre anymore. You know, it, it just seems like it's not really something that's it seems like it's 100 percent manufactured nowadays you know what do you is there any hope for pop punk going forward <laughs> in 2023 well i i see your point um but i you know as far as it's it's a lot of like uh i guess we'll say like very tiktok friendly kind of solo yeah. artists doing a lot of this stuff um you know like for example Jaden, who's on uh travis's uh label dta which he does i am biased because he uh one of the the people he does label with is my friend johnny minardi shout out to johnny um and uh you know Jaden is uh incredibly good looking and it makes me hate myself every time i see him <laughs> i'm angry at the world that uh i did not win the genetic lottery like he did <laughs> And, it, and and I think it might be easy for old people like us to look at someone like Jaden and be like, oh, he's just this pretty boy from TikTok who, you know, uh, met Travis Barker and Travis handed him like, you know, all this music and that's what this is. Um, but I don't really think that's true. I think uh, it, it may seem like that to us. And, and in some cases, that probably is true, right? There, there are yeah. some examples of that, I'm sure. Um, but... Uh, 
I, it's not the case in it, there's plenty of times where that's not the case. I think there's a lot of these kids that are genuinely into this stuff. And it's not like Blink 182 and Newfound Glory are some kind of like secret knowledge that only, you know, the cool <laughs> kids know about. I mean, yeah. these are like Billboard top yeah. 10 bands that sold millions, millions of records. It's not crazy to think that a 20 year old could could sincerely like that stuff. Um now, that being said, nobody's obligated to like this new generation of pop punk, but I, I, I just, this is the thing that old people do all the time is they, you know, look down on and discredit the new generation and yeah. assume that, well, the, we did it for the right reasons, but these kids now are doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, guess what? We were dumbass 20 year olds just like they are. <laughs> you know, every 20 year old guy is a fucking idiot. Yeah, that's a good point, my man. It's a good point. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you because. Uh, you know, I'm relatively new uh, to the Finn McKinty world. I've been watching your videos for about two years now and, That's a while. and, and Thank keeping you. up keeping up with the podcast and stuff. But I really appreciate, um, you know, your take on stuff, because like you're saying, you know, it, I mean, older music dudes are hilarious. You know what I mean? It's just a, it, it's it's one way shit, to put it. <laughs> yeah. The shit that can come out of my mouth and, and you know, anyone that I know is is amazing. So. You know, I appreciate you have a, such a well-rounded take, and it's really cool because I find myself nowadays, um, you know, being in a band for 20 years and, and, you know, especially like underground punk rock stuff and the way the music industry has changed. There's so much to like, you know, there, there, there's so much to bitch about, but it's also like the thing that's crazy is you lose sight of that. There's so much to be stoked on, too. There's so many Absolutely. good bands. There's so much great music going on. The technology is changing for the better just as much as it's changing for the worse. So perspective is a really, really important thing, I believe, now in music and in art. And you really help bring that to the forefront with the content you make, my man. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, my point of view is, uh, you know, people... There's a lot of people that, you know, think of me as some sort of like grouchy hater or something like that. It's it's the complete opposite of that. My point of view in general is that I'm excited to see the next generation making shit, like basically. And I'm excited about this current generation, and I will be excited about the next one and the next one after that and the next one after that. Whether I like it or not is secondary. I think that, you know... I, I've been around long enough that I've seen this happen so many times, as I'm sure you have, is like every generation of kids makes some stuff and the people, you know, the older people say that it's trash and uh, then rinse and repeat forever. And the, if I had one kind of point that I would like to make or message I'd like to send to everyone, it's like, just don't be that person. Be, don't, you know, don't hate, congratulate. Be, be stoked for what the next generation is doing. You don't have to like it. But just be stoked that there is a generation of kids who are motivated to make shit the same way you were when you were their age. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, for our listeners out there, I would love to get a little bit of history on you yeah. because uh, obviously you've been doing this for a long time. And I know you've had, you know, you, you've had a lot of different avenues and alleyways in your career uh, as a writer and, and getting to where you are now. So. Uh, going back, not all the way, not to the womb, but just to like, just to like when music kind of first, you know, came into your life, how did it kind of first start taking effect on you? Well, my, my mother and father fucked on New Year's Eve of 1978 <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was all downhill from there. Um, 
I uh, I discovered that's a true story by the way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I discovered music um, probably around 1987 or 88 through MTV. Um, I, I, th- I guess it was Yo MTV Raps. Um, whatever so whatever rap show was on MTV at the time. Uh, I didn't I don't I don't know how I discovered it. Whatever it was just on TV and rap was the thing that really caught my attention first. Um, you know this was like the golden age of. EPMD, Eric B and yeah. Rakim, you know, uh, Cool G Rap, all that stuff. Um, and then a couple years after that, I, again, through MTV, discovered Suicidal Tendencies. They had been banned from playing in L.A. for, like, I think, like, five years or something like that. And in <laughs> night, because, you know, because of all the gang shit at their shows mm-hmm. back then. Um, and uh, you being from, I, my cousins are from L.A., from, you know, a, a couple parts of the L.A. area. And I went there in the 80s and stuff, 80s, early 90s. And uh, it was a different world back then. You know, Santa Monica and Venice, you go there now and it's hipster central. And those were not good places in the 80s. I'd never been to East L.A. back then, but I would imagine same story there. So Suicidal Tendencies had been banned from playing in L.A. because there was a lot of gang violence and stuff at their shows in the 80s. They did an MTV News segment about their first show back in L.A. in 1990. And uh, I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's fucking cool. And I'm into it from now on. And so that was kind of the thing that got me into all this stuff. Yeah, man. Suicidal, uh, you know, it, it can't be understated how important of a band they were and continue to be. I mean, I saw them last year, and it's crazy. They got Ben from Dillinger playing yep. with them now. Um, but shout out to Ben. But they're still they're still amazing. And you look back at songs like Trip at the Brain and, you know, yep. you, all this stuff. With their kind of crossover when they started getting pretty metal was, um, dude, it was unstoppable, dude. It was so yep. awesome. What about some other bands from around that time? What what were you kind of coming up with? Uh, I was into that like crossover kind of stuff, like D- DRI, Sepultura. I mean, they're yeah. kind of crossoverish, I guess, but like DRI, Sepultura, The Accused. There was a band from Seattle back then called Forced Entry, like a thrash band. Um, I was into that stuff, but then. A couple years after that, I think there was a there was a zine back then, which you know people may be familiar with, uh, called Maximum Rock and Roll. It was sort of like yeah. the definitive like punk zine that you know basically covered the entire global underground like punk and hardcore scene. Which uh, I bought at Tower Records uh, in Seattle back then, and uh, that's sort of what introduced me to all the bands that you would see behind me. If I don't know if you're making a video version of this, but um, yeah. A uh, bunch of old, like, you know, 90s hardcore kind of stuff that I'd gotten into, into through there. Um, you know, like Earth Crisis was probably the definitive band of that era for me. There was a band from Seattle called uh, Undertow that was kind of our big hardcore band. Got into, like, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, all that kind of stuff. Kind of more of the hardcore side of things. But I've always listened to everything. Like I said, you know, I discovered rap before all this stuff. Um, I've always listened to rap and pop and hardcore and death metal. I was really into death metal in the 90s, like Morbid Angel and uh, yeah. Obituary, Deicide, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've I've always listened to everything. I would listen to, you know, um, Earth Crisis, Madonna, Green Day, and, you know, No Doubt on the same mixtape. Yeah, there was uh, Earth Crisis was a, a fork in the road for, for yep. me in, uh, in in high school because... You know, a lot of us, you know, we're, we all were listening to punk rock. And then, you know, a lot of us were listening to hardcore. It was Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, stuff like that. But then when Earth Crisis came, Earth Crisis came on the scene, it got, you metal. know, it, it got metal and it got militant. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I always talk about it being the same as there was a scene in the movie Big Wednesday where 
they they all have to go in front of the draft board for Vietnam, and some of them like volunteer to go into <laughs> Vietnam, and some of them dodge the draft, <laughs> and and that's what it was like. Like yeah. there was a moment for all of us where it was like, okay, like I legitimately had friends that were like, I'm dedicating myself to hardcore, and it yeah. was like a couple of us were like, no, that's not like we're staying, we're going down the punk path. We're not going down that road. And it was a really kind of crazy Drill time. sergeant kicked you out of the force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, you I'll, make I'll, me sick. Dude, Get I'll out of my for, sight. I'll never forget. I had this. I had a buddy, Dion, uh, and uh, he wrote in my high school yearbook. It said, like, Matt, one day you will know the truth of hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever find the truth of hardcore? <laughs> I, I haven't found it yet. I mean, I love it. I love it. I can listen There's to still Earth time. Crisis. There's still yeah, there's still time. It's out there somewhere. But but yeah, you know, it was it was a really you know, so looking back on it, it's an incredibly fun time in music too, because you know, like you said, there were all those different sort of things happening. There were so many great shows happening. What type of person were you at shows? Were you back? Were you front row? Were you stage diving? Were you moshing? What were you like? Uh I've never been really like big into like dancing or anything, partly because like I moved to Cleveland in nineteen ninety six. And no, dan- that no was, dancing in Cleveland. Oh, there's a lot of fuck. They, well, One Life Crew, if you remember that band, they had a, a line um, uh, which in the song said, uh, violence, Cleveland style, we don't dance, we just fight, um, <laughs> which is pretty accurate. Um, and uh, I wanted no part of that. Um, yeah. And I'm glad because I'd probably be missing some teeth or something like that if I did. So um, I, I was happy to just like hang out and watch the bands. I'm not trying to prove to anybody uh that i'm like the biggest pit warrior so when did you decide to did you write first were you writing you know reviews like or zines how, writing how did, zines or yeah like how oh, did you yeah. get into like kind of you know finding your own voice as a commentator and like being a you know someone who wants to document the scene you know yeah well the reason i asked about writing is because i was also very into graffiti in the 90s um really yeah which was a a, a big a big thing for me um a couple of the guys, if anybody listening happens to know about graffiti, I went to high school with a couple of the guys who are uh, kind of the original members of BTM, which is a crew that's still around. Uh, BTM, and I think, I think, uh, I think maybe one of them was in U.S., but U.S. and BTM were like two of the big crews for me as a as a kid, which are still really influential to me. Um, so shout out to anybody who uh, may know U.S. or BTM. But uh, I started doing um, zines in like 1992, I think maybe 93. And they were terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like 14, 15 years old. Um, but I saw, you know, I, I saw some of them in Maximum Rock and Roll. And um, I just reached out to bands that I wanted to interview because I basically said there was a bunch of bands at that time, which they called like the power violence scene at the time. Bands like uh, Capitalist Casualties, uh, Rest in Peace to Spider Mike, um, No Comment, Man is a Bastard, Despise You, all that kind of stuff. And um, nobody was really covering that stuff at the time. And even though I was like 15, I was like, well, nobody else is going to do it. So I guess I will. So I just wrote a letter to them because that's what you did back then. I said, hey, you know, I, this is who I am. I'm 15 years old. I have a zine. Do you want to do an interview? And they're like, yeah, OK. So Mike from Capitalist Casualties was the very first person I ever interviewed, took a chance on me. He unfortunately died. I think uh, I think it was last year. Um, really sad to see that. Um but uh, that was kind of the beginning of all of it is just like I found 
this little lane, this little part of the scene that nobody was really covering. And I sold several thousand of them by the time I was like out of high school. I sold, you know, through the mail and stuff. I sold a few thousand of them all over the world and stuff through the mail, which, you know, it's only a few thousand zines compared to millions of people on YouTube. But honestly, I would say selling a few thousand zines through the mail is harder than getting millions of views on YouTube in a lot of ways. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's an incredible place to start, dude. I mean, that's I mean, those are those are big numbers for a young kid doing his first, you know, his first thing, man. I mean, right. especially like you're saying, you know, and, and just the effort of it all, you know, the physical act of, of putting them together and, and getting them out in the mail. You know, it seems like once that once that happened, that you kind of like you said, you found your lane, you were kind of off to the races because you seem like a very driven dude, especially when it's something that you know, you're doing that you love and that you care about. And so, you know, once you got that kind of initial rush of getting those out, what was next for you? My thinking has always been like, wherever people's attention is, that's where I'm going to go. Um, so I did zines in the 90s up until maybe the early 2000s uh, and then took a little bit of a break for a while and started doing some uh, blogs in the 2000s because that became the thing, yeah. like the mid to late 2000s. Uh, I used to have a blog that got kind of popular sort of in the metal world called Metal Inquisition, where we basically made fun of like, you know, made fun of thrash and death metal kind of stuff in a good natured way. But uh, that got fairly popular. Uh, I wrote a bunch for Metal Sucks, which at the time was one of the bigger metal blogs. Yeah, is um, that Sergeant D? Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> um, and then uh, after blogging sort of, you know, ran its course. I was like, all right, well, I guess people are into YouTube now. So I started doing that in 2017. And uh, here we are. And then I started doing Twitch um, last year. So basically, I, I want to be wherever the attention is. Yeah. How you like Twitch? How you like fucking it's with great. Twitch? Yeah. Twitch is awesome. The culture there is way better. I mean, shout out to everyone who watches my YouTube videos. I appreciate it. But people on YouTube, not the nicest people in the world. <laughs> um, but Twitch, it's more like, even though you're not physically in the same room with me, obviously, the social norms are more like you're hanging out together. So people tend to be a lot cooler on Twitch, and I really appreciate that. That's dope, man. That's dope. Let's get into uh, you know some some band stuff a little bit here. I'm curious to get your take on uh, what makes a good front man or front woman. Well, the most important thing is something that people – I talk about it all the time. But charisma is the thing that matters more than anything else. You don't hear people talk about this very often because I think it's kind of poorly understood. And it's not something that I really understood until maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. Charisma being the ability – like, and I believe that you're born with charisma. The ability to attract and retain people's attention, which doesn't necessarily mean that they like you. MGK would be a good example of this. If MGK does anything, people care. Whether they like him or hate him, they care, right? Yeah. Um, it's just one of those people. Fred Durst is another one of those people that you like him, you hate him, but you care either way. And then there's people like, say, someone like Mike Patton, um, that pretty much, if you if you care about Mike Patton, you love absolutely everything that he does, you know, um, even though uh, I kind of appreciate how much uh, he dislikes their fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, charisma, at the end of the day, like, if you look at any band, um, people want to believe that it's about the music and the music does matter. But this is the entertainment business, not the music business. 
right? The music business is like people who write songs and produce music and stuff locked up in the studio. Nobody even knows who these people are. The entertainment business is something else. You have to entertain people. And the music does matter, but we can all think of examples of artists who are successful as much for their charisma as for their music, right? Yeah. So I think that is a vital component of any band. It has to, You have to have a strong front person. And I think any genre lives or dies by whether it has a handful, at least, of people with that kind of star power. You know, you look at the the rise and fall of any genre, it generally corresponds to the rise and fall of the biggest stars in that genre. Yeah, that's a great point, man. That's a great point. You know, it's like you got to be able to accept the role and step into being a, being the person on stage with the microphone, yep. you know, directing the crowd. You know, you yep. got to be able to, to step into that. I absolutely agree. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. 
And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Who's the least important member of the band? Uh, well, <laughs> it, it's actually hard to know. You don't know unless you know the band because there are some examples of people, for example, like um, Charlie Benante from Anthrax. A lot of people you know, would maybe think he's quote-unquote just the drummer, but what people don't know is that he has written, always written most of their music and plays a lot of the shit on the album because he's the best guitarist in the band, as everyone in the band would agree. Um, so, and, and there's lots of other bands where, for example, like my friends in Periphery, Matt from Periphery doesn't, he's a drummer, he doesn't write any of the music, like the guitarist basically, you know, writes almost everything and programs the drums as well. So Matt basically just, not entirely, but for the most part, plays what Misha writes. But Matt is a brilliant business mind and he has a super important role in the band in that capacity. So I think it really depends. Um, and you got to understand there's more to the band than just what you see when they're on stage playing. That's a good point. That's a good point. I remember, uh, <clears throat> you know, for the longest time, I thought the uh, the Strokes was like uh, I thought they all kind of you know worked together and wrote together. And Probably the last not. the last thing that I that I suspected was that uh, Julian wrote all the fucking songs. Like that's all the usually hits. the case in most bands. There's one or two people that write everything, and everyone yeah. else does what they're told for the most. And part. I was I was so I was so like when uh, when I you listen, you can find those early Strokes demos, like of him just basically on a keyboard on on YouTube or whatever. And it, it, it blew my mind, man, just because I did not. It's so funny how you can look at a band and think one thing. Yep. But then behind the scenes, you know, it can be a totally different thing. Like you're saying with Charlie, dude, he's he's crushing in Pantera right now. Yep. I and mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's one of the things I like to try to communicate in my videos is that there's oftentimes more than meets the eye. I don't always like I'm not saying I know everything and I'm going to tell you guys how it really is, because the, like the, the the larger point is like, I don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole story. So I think people should hold off on speculating. Yeah, man. Getting into uh, 2022 here, you know, we're yes, sir. We're, we're wrapping up the year. Uh, how would you on a scale of one to ten in music? How would you give 2022? All right. Well, I, my scale, I, here's <laughs> here's my thing. One to ten, but no sevens because seven is a coward score. It's for fence sitters. Because when you give something a seven, you're kind of saying it's okay, right? Yes. You're afraid to take a stand. So yes. that's my rule no sevens. No and sevens. if you give something an eight, you're saying it's pretty good. If you give something a six, you're saying, eh, it's not that hot. Yeah. Um, six is I, basically a five. Exactly. And a five is basically a one. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. thumbs to me, it comes down to thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Um, I would give this year a six, um, which is not bad. Which is like, a five, not, which is a one. But exactly. If I had to go one way or the other, I mean, it's not a 10, right? It's not no. a 10. Um, so if I had to go one way or the other, reason being that uh, I don't really feel like there were too many 
big breakout moments or people or songs or it, it, it's just it, it felt like there's nothing wrong with it. it's not like it was bad um but i didn't really feel like there was any big moments um as far in a positive way i mean there's a couple uh unfortunate ones like takeoff you know getting shot yeah uh, Taylor sad. hawkins there's a bunch of yeah shitty shitty stuff shitty stuff but i didn't you know even in the mainstream uh you know i just don't really feel like there were any real breakout moments this year but it's yeah. not nothing bad it's not as bad it's just kind of like eh, i feel like didn't, nothing really happened yeah i would i would agree with you you know i think that it's it's been kind of a you know a lot there was a lot of cool carryover stories from 2021 yep. you know obviously turnstile continuing yep. to have a huge year get the grammy nods and a lot of stuff like that but as far as great things specifically launching or happening in 2022 I mean, outside of Kid Rock dropping We the People, I think. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Your man Kid Rock reminding that freedom is not free. The only real patriot. The last patriot. That's right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I was, I, you know, and even like going back on, on records and stuff, there was some cool stuff that came out this year for sure, but it doesn't feel... And this is one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and, and this is kind of going back to what we were talking about originally with, you know, you don't want to be the old guy who's like, you know, nothing fucking good is happening. Yeah. But do you think, you know, like, do you think there's another genre out there? Do you think would there ever be like a new wave of something that just crashes like yes. Nirvana did or something like that? Yes. I don't know what it's going to be. What do you think it's going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody knows. Because um, I, I've seen this happen so many times. I feel like every, I don't know, five years or something, I, I feel this way of like, eh, music's over. Nothing cool will ever happen again. I'm over it. And then something always happens that you know comes along and I'm like, oh, shit, this is fucking cool. I did not see this coming. This is amazing. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, as a couple examples of that, like, I think Cloud Rap was that, you know, with like Young Lean and, you know, yeah. Blade and all the Drain Gang stuff like 10 years ago was that um, I think um, when like basically the XXL like 2016 freshman class, which was like Lil Uzi Vert, Lil Yachty, um, Denzel Curry uh, and uh, uh, 21 Savage. I think there's one other person I'm forgetting, but like that was big. Like the kind of Migos era felt like really cool and fresh yeah. to me when like Bad and Bougie blew up. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, stuff like that, you don't know what it's going to be, but it, it comes along and you're like, oh, this is cool. I didn't expect this. Hyper Pop felt like it could have been that, um, you know, which kind of came out in like 2020. But it felt like it kind of fizzled. Um, One thing, uh, definitely emo rap was that for sure. Like uh, Uzi, Juice, Peep, um, you know, and X. But unfortunately, you know, they all died. I I think that, I think that could, I think that was about to be the next Nirvana, actually. I mean, and those artists were all super successful, but they, like, obviously they all died right before they were really about to like reach their potential, I think. Um, so that, that was, that was about to be the next big thing. I think like the next like generational game changing thing. Um, so that was really sad. One thing that's happening right now that I think is interesting. I, I don't know yet where it's going to go. 
um, but is uh, it's kind of obscure stuff. But you, you may I think I think Fantana may have talked about it a little bit the haunted mound like uh, cemetery and uh, all those guys. So basically, they're haunted mound. The cemetery is a I guess you would call them a rapper, but um, it's like super deep fried and distorted. Imagine like a combination of like witch house like Salem with yeah. Chief Keef, but he wears <laughs> like black metal shirts and <clears throat> affliction jeans. No, <laughs> it's very advanced like, stuff. That sounds like a nightmare. I'm gonna be honest with you. Is this is it sound good? Uh, no, it's terrible. Um, yeah. but in a great way. Well, that's the thing. So is it is is terrible the new breakthrough? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's is terrible the new good. It's I mean, it's 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 uh, postmodern. You know, it's very it's very yeah. referent. You know, it's very postmodern. So it's it's. I would say inaccessible by design in the same way as like black metal was right. Black yeah, metal okay, was saying like you. death metal town sounds too slick and accessible. Now, fuck this shit. <laughs> we want to sound like shit. And <laughs> how, instead of these like super detailed multicolor oil paintings on our cover, we're just going to have some fucked up photocopy of like a guy screaming in the corner of his basement. Um, and so I think the Hana mound cemetery kind of stuff sort of reminds me of that. Um, whether that will and, and it definitely has like an underground following whether it will like break through into something bigger you know we'll have to see what is it about hip-hop that kind of like it seems like it's always you know leading the way when it comes yep. to kind of you know especially na especially now everything I mean? and, and yeah and it and like so what what do you think it is about hip-hop culture that is like just a little bit ahead of everybody else or at least maybe not maybe if not ahead just a little bit more it seems like there's there's less you know like it, it's just a free a yeah. freer creative environment you know what i mean i think that's what it is um rock has become very traditionalist where if it doesn't sound like something sound and look and act like something from 20 or 30 years ago the rock culture rejects it um and I, I don't know why that happened. And it's really sad because that's like the antithesis of what rock always was, right? Like yeah. it was like rock and roll was never supposed to be your fucking dusty ass dad's music, right? Um, where they're like expecting you to rigidly conform to like, why doesn't this look and sound like something from when I was in high school in 1995? That's like the exact opposite of what rock and roll should have been. And for whatever reason, Hip hop culture has really taken that torch and run with it. Yeah, it's 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 really. I mean, it's exciting to see. I mean, it's like I wish it was that way for every you know major genre, but it's like I don't know what it is about rock and roll that just loves going backwards. They love staying in that fucking like dude. The the, the band that blows my mind is Greta Van Fleet. Like yeah, I, they're, they're like the worst band in the world to me, <laughs> and I don't like I don't get like how the fuck. You know, like bands like like Metallica's taking them out right. on tour, and all these bands are like falling all over them. Why? I'm, yeah, I'm just like, dude, this is this is horrible. <laughs> you know, and it, it's like I just there's certain things like with that, and then it's like on the flip side of that, like another band that I you know, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm talking too much shit here, even though I am, but a band like Imagine Dragons, who's like, it just feels like they're strictly like reserved for like corporate events and yeah. like radio festivals <laughs> you know and it's just like what like what even is that that band and it's like 
man, like rock music can be so depressing sometimes, you know, because it yeah. just feels like the bar is, is so low and it's just like so, it, it, you're better off sounding like something that has already been done before and that was yep. a success than trying to like do something cool and creative and new. Yeah, because if you try, the rock fans are just going to reject you and hate you for it. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense. And, and they don't even want to claim their wins. I was just talking about this <laughs> on Twitch the other day. So I was looking at the list of Spotify songs with over a billion plays. There are 335 songs with over a billion plays. So it's a fairly small list. And there are a lot of like rock and alternative kind of artists on that list or like alternative adjacent. For example, Olivia Rodrigo has four songs on that list. So Olivia Rodrigo alone is over 1% of that list. And rock fans will not fucking accept her. I'm like, it's a fucking rock. It's an alternative rock album. Obviously, it's not fucking Suicide Silence. It's not the most edgy thing in the world. But like, you listen to it, it sounds like it could have been on 120 minutes in the 90s. Like, yeah. it just does. And Rock fans should be excited about this. Even if you don't like it, you should claim your win. You should be like, look, Rock is back. Olivia Rodrigo is putting up numbers. Shout out to Olivia. But they don't no. want to have anything to do with her. No. Juice World is on that list. Uzi is on that list. And like Lil Uzi Vert went to a fucking Lorna Shore show. Like the guy is part of the culture. Same with like Juice World. These people like talk about Escape the Fate and shit. Like, like they're, they like the same shit you like, you know? And these rock people will not claim their wins. I don't get it. Even MGK, whether you like him or not, the guy had two Billboard number one pop punk albums in the last two years. You don't have to like him, but respect the fact that he put the genre on the map again. Yeah, but I think there's also with stuff like that, I think embracing your wins is also at the same time like admitting the failures of the, of the exactly genre, of the genre. <laughs> yes, it is. But deal with it. Yeah, you got to face reality. I see, like you know, hardcore progressing right now. It's 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 doing so well. It's it's pushing yep. forward. There's so many great bands. Same with metal. Um, and it's just like you know, I don't really, I haven't seen, and I, this is kind of branching off, but just overall, as far as progression in punk rock. It's really, it's one of those things that, and I think that's always kind of been one of the negatives about it, is it is a genre that loves to hold on to... Oh, my God. What? The same what? fucking yeah. bands. The same fucking bands all the fucking yes. time. You go see these, like, festival lineups in places like Huntington Beach or Spain, and it literally looks like a show from 1993. Like, it's the exact same fucking bands. And there's nothing against the bands, but, like, like, you really are, like, hung up on like social distortion and you know pennywise and x in 2022 like this is like again yeah. those are great bands no no like shade on them but like this is like what you're like these are the flagship bands in the current year yeah that's i'm what 44 I'm and and those no, bands and, are a little bit before my time yeah and there's there, i mean there, it's not like you know i'm not saying that the punk genre is you know overflowing with incredible new talent but there's a lot of fucking new bands out there there's a yep. lot of bands that are trying to do stuff and it's just it's frustrating because you'd love to see that like that next you know generation like kick over you know right. it's like in a lot of ways it's like 
like in, in politics sometimes it's the same way like i'm thinking we're, we're like really going to elect 80 year olds really yeah like where where are the new people like when is the the great changeover going to happen you know yeah yeah same thing i mean you know with punk i i think it's the same kind of conversation is there are a ton of cool new artists out there doing stuff punk punk should never i mean look who am i to say what punk is or isn't i'm a fucking nobody but Looking at it historically, punk was never supposed to be a specific sound or image, right? Yeah. It was like a mentality and a way of life. And if you look back, there are bands th- that fall under the, especially back in like the early days, say like the late 70s and early 80s, um, that sounded wildly different. You know, anything from, you know, millions of dead cops to like, you know, the weirdos could be considered punk. Um, or, or Devo for that matter, yeah. you know, could, could all be broadly considered punk. And there's a lot of artists now doing all kinds of, like, to me, all that hyper pop stuff should have been embraced by punk because it reminds me of a lot of the stuff kind of in spirit of a lot of the stuff from the late seventies, like that kind of like very like queer, very artsy, just weird ass shit, you know, from like all those like Hollywood bands, um, that to me is entirely consistent with punk, like, in terms of like ethos um yeah. but you know the punk punk dads just want to listen to pennywise and nothing wrong with pennywise they're a great band but it's like are we going to move on or there's people like nascar aloe who's on dta records travis and johnny signed him who is a uh i, I guess you would kind of call him a rapper um kind of but uh plays just like very noisy distorted kind of rap music but you know he has like a destroy tattoo and wears like punk jacket and has liberty spikes and stuff he should be one of the like you know flagship artists in punk right now in my opinion but they don't like him they don't want to like him they don't know he exists you know go i mean if you want to really just fucking enter the zone of pain um go (laughs) on the epitaph records facebook page and read the comments about anything they talk about that's from after like 2001. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the pain cave. And shout That's out to Brad and Epitaph, by the way. I love Epitaph. I think that of all the labels out there... They've they tried. Ha- they've tried. They've, yes, they've they tried. have. They've, they've tried to sign new bands. They have tried to bring new artists and put them on the radar. They've tried to like step out of their comfort zone, yep. too, as a label. They've tried to sign different stuff. And absolutely, you know, I, I, I think... Yep. You know, and and you know what Epitaph was in the in the '90s, especially. I mean, yep. it was you know it was at that time where you could you were searching new bands by the label. They were one of the most reliable and the best. You know, and, and they had, in the 2000s too, they had yeah, Escape the Fate. They had yeah. Architects in America. They had Bring the Horizon yep. in America. Yep. They have a stronger batting average than any other label. Period. The end. And yep. now they're signing a lot of. Cool new artists, for example, like there's this uh, artist called Prop, Pop Tropica Sluts that are really cool. They have like Lil Lotus, Smart Death. So, you know, Brett, I think, deserves a lot of credit for consistently embracing whatever is new and cool. And he really believes it. He's not like Brett's fucking rich. He doesn't need to work another day in his life. He's in the studio. You go look at his Instagram. He's in the studio with people like Lotus and Smart Death because he genuinely cares about their music. He genuinely backs it. Um, and unfortunately all the fucking boomers give him nothing but shit for it. Uh, and it's just, it's gotta be frustrating from his perspective. Cause it's definitely frustrating for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. Shout out to Brett. And I, I've always been 
a huge, huge fan of his. Just, uh, you know, obviously beginning with Bad Religion and the way he uh, looked at their songs differently, the way he wrote lyrically, um, you know, just everything that he's kind of accomplished and overcome in his life and the way he looks at music and the music industry and the music business. It's just he's one of a kind, man. And like you're yep. saying, he, he does it because he loves it. And then there's the whole recording aspect of what yep. he's done, yep. you know, that way, too. So definitely, uh, you know, a, a, an all time figure in the genre for sure. And an important one and one that's trying his best to push <sighs> things forward, <laughs> dragging him, kicking and screaming into the future. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. So. God bless him. God bless you, Brett. Speaking of 2023 here, let's let's drag ourselves into the yes. future. Let's put on some uh, some psychic helmets here. I want to ask you about a couple things. Get your opinion okay. on it. Musically speaking, is the metaverse done? Uh, well, it depends what you mean by metaverse. If you mean like NFTs and 3D goggles, yes. If you mean it in the broader sense of like online communities where people kind of live a second life for example you know uh, i would consider like uh discord and uh fucking you know fortnite and wow and all these things i would consider those a metaverse that is just different from mark zuckerberg's vision of it zuckerberg's vision of it is done nfts are fucking stupid and they're trash and aside from a handful of them, for example, I think the guys in Avenged Sevenfold are doing it right. Uh, 99% of NFTs are garbage that are worth less than nothing. I agree with you on that one. It was, uh, it was a short, short wave. You know, I got a little excited. I got a little excited for a second. I thought maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe something cool was going to break through. But, but man, I think, you know, and the thing about Zuckerberg, too, is he's, you know, he's such a dork. You know, yeah, he's, he's not the he's, right guy to be the face of it. No, he's not the right guy to be leading the future, you know? No. So, um, you know, what about the new Metallica album? Will it be good? I mean, I heard that one song. I've never liked Metallica, to be honest with you, because I, I was already into stuff record. like... What's that? Not one record? No, I've never owned a Metallica album in my, in my, in my life, because I was already listening to, like, Sepultura, Destruction, Creator... Yeah. the accused that kind of thing by the you're time beyond. That, you're beyond you're beyond yeah Metallica. and it's like you can't really after you've been listening to like sepultura and destruction you can't really go listen to hit the lights and be like oh hell yeah this is amazing um obviously respect to metallica they seem like the best guys in the world um and and i would i would be happy to have them as neighbors um the new album though i will say for my <laughs> so i say that not to talk shit on metallica but just to say <laughs> that i am not necessarily the person you know um you should listen to on this I think it's the best thing they've done in a very long time, at least judging from that one song. I think it sounds great for what it is. Yeah, I thought Lux Lux Eterna. I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a song. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was good. It was all right. You know, it was all right. I love how like now they're just a, they're just a, a, a beacon of just shit talking. Like people like <laughs> people ripping the artwork and all this stuff is so great. God, dude, it's <laughs> like it's, it's the same shit as like Star Wars. Anytime. Like, I'm not, like, a big Star Wars fan either, but, like, anytime Star Wars does anything, it's like the fans just devote all their energy to just tearing every single fucking detail of it apart. And, like, well, for, for a bunch of supposed Star Wars fans, you sure seem to fucking hate Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what Jesus about, uh... Christ, give these guys a fucking break. They're just trying to make a goddamn TV show for you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How do you people treat your fucking families? 
If this is how you treat, oh my god, Metallica fans, it's the same thing. It's like everyone's got a fucking opinion on the kick drum sound and James's fucking haircut and like fuck off, man. You people need to go touch grass and touch a tit in that order. Mm. Jesus Christ, get a fucking life, people. Uh, yeah, or reverse I, the order, whatever works I for agree, you. I agree, man. I agree. You know, it's like, and, and it's it's got to be crazy, you know, to be a band that long and just like you're just like oh. God, it's it seems like you know the the microscope gets gets worse. You know, the the like people like just let them, just let them, let them. If do you don't like thing. it, that's fine. Just shut the fuck up. Yes, yes. What about uh, what about the new event Sevenfold record? Is it going to be good? I think yes, I think so. I mean, obviously they're a different band than they were, you know, in two thousand five. So we can't expect City of Evil Part Two. Um, but the stage was awesome. Um, it, you know, it's a different band again, but it's definitely the most progressive thing they've ever done. Uh, Brooks Wackerman is, in my opinion, the best punk drummer of all time. That guy is a fucking is monster. I saw him play with. We're the same age. I saw him play with Infectious Grooves when we were both yeah, like 14 yeah. or 15. At When we were in fucking ninth grade, he was already better than everybody. <laughs> yeah. He can play anything. Uh, and he has that perfect... The Rev was, of course, like irreplaceable. Um, but if there's anybody on earth who can fill his shoes, it's Brooks Wackerman because he has that blend of like, you know, the precision of like metal but also that sort of wildness of punk. And I think he's, he's, he's perfect. So I'm excited for it. Um, you know, people, um, people slept on, on the stage, but remember they have a, what is it? A 16 minute song on there with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like they wrote their most progressive weird shit. And uh, I, I'm excited to hear it. I love Avenged Sevenfold. Right on, man. What about the Blink-182 tour? Does it make it all the way through or does the band implode? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. This is one of those situations where I, I wouldn't speculate about that because I don't know the dynamics behind the scenes. Um, I will say that, uh, I think it's super cool that they took out turnstile. That's a, a moment for hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's dope. I did want to talk to you about, um, the business side of things, because I know you're a sure. big marketing guy. I know you do a lot of like, uh, coaching as far as, you know, getting people to kind of realize their potential faster when it comes to marketing, when it comes to try. content creating. And I think that's really cool, man, because you really are, like we talked earlier, I think you're an important figure, you know, in, in, in music, but also just the way the world's going. And there's so many different ways for people to um, to express themselves and to find their own voice. And a lot of that is online. And a lot of that is a lot of trial and error and a lot yep. of it is really fucking hard work. So are there, are there some kind of universal truths that you know about, you know, kind of finding your own lane online, becoming a content creator, you know, talking about music, talking about anything that you love and care about? Yeah. Um, my overall, I, I would say two things. Number one is understand that it's most likely going to take you a while to find an audience. It doesn't matter whether it's on TikTok or YouTube or Twitch or whatever it is, I think it, you know, it takes time to find an audience. I would start on TikTok because right now that is the the place where you can find an audience the the most quickly because their algorithm is amazing because it's powered by Chinese spyware, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is the algorithm is amazing. If you want to build an audience, I would start on TikTok. Um, number two is um you have no choice but to be who you are, um, meaning that um, if you are in – and that's a good thing. 
Um, meaning that let's say you're into something like um, collecting, um, you know, uh, antique spoons, right? You might think that that is so niche and weird that nobody will be interested in it. It's not true. People will respond to any anybody that has like deep expertise and passion for something. People re will respond to that. It does not matter what it is. Um, as an example of that, um, there's a guy named Report of the Week. Do you know him? Mm -mm. Super fucking weird guy. Um, you can look him up after this. He does. He's been doing fast food reviews for like <laughs> I don't know seven or eight years or something like that. Gets millions of views, like reviewing the new Arby's chicken sandwich or Crunchwrap Supreme or something. He he looks and sounds like something out of the 1920s. He wears like a suit with like slick back hair, but he's like <laughs> 22 years old or something. He's just such an odd guy who, for whatever reason, just is deeply passionate about fast food. You know, you would think, is is there an audience for this? On paper, no. But the guy gets millions of views. He crushes it, and everybody loves him. Uh, there's another guy named Doug DeMiro who talks about cars. I don't know or care anything about cars, but this man will go on for like 20 minutes about why the fucking 1982, you know, BMW 325i was, you know, such a breakthrough for that brand. And I, and I will listen to every word of it, even though I don't really know or care about any of it. So um, just trust that if you care deeply about something, if you put it out there into the world, people will find it and they will respond to that. That's awesome, man. Uh, appreciate that input. Um, what about, uh, you know, it's new year's time. Are you a resolution guy? Do you have any, do you have any goals for next year for yourself? Uh, I'm not a resolution guy because, um, I am more into like the idea of continuous improvement. You know, yeah. I, I'm more, I'm, I think there's two kinds of people, broadly speaking, there are marathoners and there are sprinters. Um, a lot of creative people are sprinters, you know, they're driven by like deadlines and taking on some big giant project and like killing themselves in the process, barely like falling across the finish line and then sort of collapsing into a heap. Um, that works for some people. I'm not like that. You know, I'd rather like just chip away at something consistently day after day after day after day after day. Um, I, I don't like the sort of ups and downs. So resolutions, I don't really do that. Um, but goals, um, uh, I'm having a baby. Well, I'm not, my wife is, uh, <laughs> but we are having a baby, um, in May. So awesome. Um, Congrats, man. Thank you. My goal is, uh, you know, to be the best parent I can possibly be and, uh, make sure that the kid has a, a happy, healthy start to life. That's, that's my goal. And, uh, yeah, that, that's really it. Like supporting the family. That's my job, um, is to support the family and, uh, I will do whatever it takes to do that period. End of story. Right on, man. Right on. Love that. Uh, last question for you. Something I ask uh, everybody on the podcast, what to you is the meaning of life? Oh, gosh. Uh, do you have another hour? <laughs> um, did you ever listen to Shelter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I go back, for those who aren't familiar, that is a Hare Krishna band from the 90s. Um, I, I still, I go back to a lot of those ideas. My mom was into a lot of that stuff, which is the reason why when I first heard Shelter, I was already into hardcore, and I knew about a lot of that kind of stuff from my mom. Um, Downset is another band that touched on a lot of the same kind of stuff. Like, Downset to me was like, the perfect band because I was like, oh, I'm into hardcore graffiti and, you know, this kind of like uh, metaphysical thinking. And Downset was like all three of those combined into one. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, 
so uh you know i i don't know that i have the answer to the meaning of life but um i believe in um continuously searching for whatever that truth is every moment of every day um which is kind of tiring that's a lot of work um but I'm glad that I've put, I've been, I've been doing this, you know, since I was about 14 or 15, my mom kind of got me into this stuff. And I realized, I realized you got to put in that work because if you don't put in that work, you know, I, the way I think of it is like, if you don't control your own psychology, it's going to control you. And maybe for normal people, they don't have to worry about that, but I do. And a lot of people listening to this probably do. So, um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe I will someday. Um, but I, I, I can tell you what, uh, is not the meaning of life for sure is chasing worldly bullshit um meaning uh possessions or status uh none of that has ever made anybody happier um I, you know people say you listen to like some billionaire say that money isn't important or some supermodel say that looks aren't important you're like oh that's easy for you to say you know well who would know better than a billionaire whether money makes you happy and who would know better than some gorgeous supermodel whether good looks make you happy? Um, and I'm not like rich and I'm not famous, but I made more money than I ever thought I could. And I've certainly gotten more attention than I ever thought I could. And I'm grateful for those things. But they didn't like, you know, if, if you think that there's some moment where if you achieve X, like, oh, I made it to the top of the mountain. Now everything's cool. and I'm going to be happy. That's not how it works. You know, happiness can only be found within. And you'll find that by really taking a hard look in the mirror and being honest with yourself. I believe, and I'm sorry if I'm keeping you too long, but no, uh, you're good. I'm going to keep you for a couple more minutes because I think yeah. this is important shit. I don't talk about this on YouTube because my audience wants me to talk about Slipknot <laughs> and fucking Green Day, not things that might actually help them improve their life and be happier. <laughs> um, but I want to get this out there for anybody that stuck around for the end of this interview. Um. I would encourage, I, I believe that people know the answers to these questions inside themselves. I think that like, um, if you have never listened to Tony Robbins, you should, you might think he's corny, but you should listen to Tony Robbins. Um, he talks about people like hearing the call. I think that all of us have these moments in life where you hear the call, meaning that you know what you're supposed to do, um, supposed to do according to whatever fucking force larger than ourselves exists. I don't know what that is, but like you feel that you're like, I, I should do this. Like I, I have to do this, yeah. but most of us don't have the courage to answer that call because it's scary because it means changing things or it means admitting something that we don't want to admit. Like we've all had these moments where you might just be in the shower or taking a walk or whatever. And it just, you're just like, I know that what I'm doing right now is not right for me, but yes. you're too scared to commit right? Or yep. you don't know what to do or whatever. And um, that's understandable, but you have to admit the truth and you have to answer that call, whatever it is. And I guarantee you, everybody listening to this right now, there's something in the back of your head right now that you're like, fuck, he's right. Like, I know, I know that this thing is true and I've been scared to admit it because it's fucking terrifying. But I hope that listening to this, you would go, okay, well, no more bullshit. I'm going to admit the truth, and I may not know what to do about it, but I got to at least start by admitting the truth to myself. One of the most life-changing things that I ever heard was at the end of, I think it's the second Shelter album, 
uh, if you get the CD, they had extra room to fill, right? The, the LP is like half an hour long or whatever. If you get the CD version, they had like an extra half hour. And so they put this sermon at the end of it. For those who uh, are listening that aren't familiar, Shelter was like a Hare Krishna band. And so they put a sermon uh, at the end of it from their, like, I don't know what you call it, like priest or spiritual leader or whatever they're called. Um, and uh, listening to that way back in 93 or whatever changed my fucking life because one of the things he talked about there was this concept of dharma, which if you have uh, watched the show Lost, you'll remember the Dharma Initiative. Uh, that's a concept from Krishna consciousness or, or Hinduism, which basically means like the path that you, that you must take as an individual. So like the Bhagavad Gita is about this guy named Arjuna that, you know, is a warrior, but he doesn't want to be a warrior. And Krishna is like, look, this is what you were put here to do. You have to you have to be a warrior. Every every organism has a dharma. For example, bees live in hives and make honey. Right. That's what they yeah. do. And and beavers live in lodges and, uh, you know, build dams. That's what they do. Why would you be any different as a human? Like what you should always be doing is looking at the things that you believe and ask yourself if those map to reality, because oftentimes they may not. Um, and so I, if, if you look at reality, I believe that, you know, everyone's different. You know, humans probably have a little bit more variation than bees or beavers do. Um but there are things that make humans happy and there are things that do not make humans happy. Yeah. And chasing materialist bullshit has never made anybody happy. There, like, I listen to a lot of fucking content from a lot. Like, all I listen to is basically like business podcasts. I've never heard a single fucking person ever in any interview ever, and ask yourself if you have, anybody say that money or fame made them happy have you ever heard any human on the planet say that no not truthfully no people have said it sarcastically or in jest but absolutely not no not no. a single person who has attained wealth or fame has said yeah no that's great you should definitely chase fame and money that's gonna make you happy <laughs> zero people and and that's i'm not just saying like um that on a macro scale of like don't try to be the next fucking you know Britney Spears or whatever. I mean, on a micro scale, just like trying to impress your neighbors or other people in the scene or on social media or like, you know, if you think, oh, uh, if I get this new car, it's going to make, yeah, it's going to make you happy for like a fucking hour. Yeah. And that's it. And then it's going to go back to like having to confront yourself, which is the hard part. So, you know, by all means, I think people should like, like, I mean, ha uh, having no money sucks. That makes your life worse for sure. But, you know, once you have achieved that, um, it doesn't fucking matter. So um, uh, and, and uh, yeah, so I guess that's my thought. What is the meaning of life? Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I would encourage everybody to, like, seek truth at all times. That's that's, yeah. I believe, the move. Seek truth. And you're not look, obviously, you're not going to find it tomorrow. But if you're constantly a seeker of truth, you'll get a little bit closer every day. Absolutely, man. Seek truth. Listen to shelter and downset, and you'll seekers be all of the right. truth, like the Chrome Eggs. <laughs> yeah, another Krishna band. Right on, Finn. Thanks, man. Happy holidays. You too. Oh yeah, that's a wrap on episode fifty-two of the Sailor Jerry podcast. As always, huge amounts of respect and gratitude to our guest, the one and only Finn McKenty. Uh, Finn, thank you very much for your time, man. Uh, really cool getting to talk to you about music and your life. Uh, really appreciated that extra little bit at the end there, too. Um, really, really cool convo. Thank you again for your time. 
you know, you can follow Finn out there at Finn McKenty. You can follow Punk Rock MBA on YouTube. You can follow me at 213 Mattman. You can follow Sailor Jerry at Sailor Jerry. Uh, you know, follow yourself right over the borderline of 2022 and into 2023. Full steam ahead, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year to all. The next time I see you, we will be in January. And, um, you know, we keep rolling. So, I'll see you guys in two weeks. Do not forget that Sailor Jerry Spiced Rum is still made the old school way. 92 proof, bold and smooth as hell. Peace. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.